This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to the Frustrating Podcast podcast, where we break down and dissect simple podcasts and add complexity and polish. I'm your host, El Martinez. Today's podcast is an especially challenging one. I don't know if you heard of this show, I hope not, Stacking Benjamins, but this is a case of two people getting in way over their heads and needing serious help with polishing up their show. For this problem, they reached out to fame producer Bruce Dickerson. Let's listen in to Mr. Dickerson's advice. Hey fellas, I'm Bruce Dickerson, yes, the Bruce Dickerson. You have a dynamite sound, fantastic sound. I have only one suggestion. More cowbell. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on Memorial Day, we're grilling up a great show about doing the work you love and about quitting because it's a holiday in the USA. We welcome a guest all the way from across the pond to talk about going into business if you aren't business-minded. Executive editor of The Idler, Tom Hodgkinson. Plus, in our headline segment, how much money would it take for you to quit your job? 5K? Heck, I'd quit this job for a Twix. It's some A&W root beer. That's not all on this holiday episode, though. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky caller, answer a listener letter from the mailbag, and finally, serve up some of my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who think every day in the basement is a holiday, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. holiday to you if you're in the United States or if you're not happy Monday <laughs> welcome back to another episode and with me well I should say who I am shouldn't I I'm average Joe money Joe Salci high and across the table from me not the fake OG but the real OG can't believe they did a story about me on TBS or whatever that whole television program isn't it great it's a documentary it is totally and, and of course don't they have like Tracy Morgan play you on it yes spot on he's got my mannerisms down Un- unbelievable kind of like hung out of my house for a really long time and tried to get all my uh uncanny just like twins yeah, exactly and whether you have twins or one kid you're gonna want to use college backer how about that there you go <laughs> that's, that's, that's actually one of the better ones in a long I time know. actually but you probably ruin it when you stop to high five yourself i should probably not <laughs> Probably refrain from that. Thanks to College Backer for supporting Stacky Benjamin. Sign up at collegebacker.com forward slash SB, and you'll get a $10 match when you start a college fund for your own family or send a gift to kick off someone else's college fund. That's uh, collegebacker.com forward slash SB. And brand new advertiser, OG. Thanks to Stamps.com for supporting Stacking Benjamins. With Stamps.com, you can access all the services of the post office right from your desk. How easy is that, OG? That's fantastic. Super simple. Right now, if you Love use Stamps.com. SB, you'll get this special offer. A four-week trial includes postage and a digital scale. I've got mine sitting mm-hmm. right here. Uh, plugged in. It, but, but you can't use it to weigh yourself. It frowns on personal weight. But uh, but postage, it's spot on. It is right there. Go to stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, type in SB that tells them, as mom says, we sent you that stamps.com, enter SB. 
And we're entering into a great Memorial Day episode. Hopefully, you're not working today, but we're working for you. You're welcome, because we've got Tom Hodgkinson. Uh, Business for Bohemians is his book, and he's uh, he's executive editor of The Idler, one of my favorite places to go idle. He's got this fantastic course called How to Be Idle in, in a world where you increasingly have to move. Like, how do you just chill out and he's definitely a chill out kind of guy and if you love have passion for something but don't really care about running a business tom will tell you that you have to know how to run a business and in his quirky style he's going to teach us how to do that so we got that coming up but first we got some headlines one of them a little uh little worrisome so let's get to it hello darlings And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Napa-Net. Female advisors growing their business faster than male counterparts. This is written by Ted Godbout. And obviously, two guys, I don't want to get into a gender discussion with two of us, but I find this really interesting. Because we'll lose. Well, absolutely we'll lose. But there's some interesting conclusions, which I think have less to do with gender than it has to do with just being a good advisor. Listen to this. A new study finds that when it comes to growing their business, female financial advisors do so at a faster rate and are more likely to employ a broad array of marketing methods than their male counterparts. Sponsored by the Advisor Group, that's Capital's Advisor Group, and Investment News Research defining the, quote, female effect on advice, finds that while women still represent a minority of the overall population of financial advisors, there has been some, quote, notable progress in the composition of the advisory industry landscape. I want to skip down to a part of this that I found indicative of just two different types of advice. The piece says, so what's leading this seemingly faster growth rate? The study notes that women advisors tend to represent a forward-looking next-generation approach, that's in quotes, to wealth management and financial advice and appear to employ more proactive and innovative approaches to marketing, technology, outsourcing, and positioning. The report explains that women are more inclined to describe themselves as holistic planners positioning themselves to serve investors and clients with a broader set of needs, while men tend to focus more towards investment management when explaining their services. Quote, this suggests that male or female advisors who position themselves as solving multiple problems versus a singular or narrow issue will be more likely to outperform in the future, the report states. I think that's spot on. I mean, if you look at the shifting landscape of the investment advisory space right now and where it seems that the puck is headed, of course, you know, nobody knows what the future is, but uh, those who specialize in going, you know, what do they say, an inch wide and a mile deep, you know, really good at a particular type of client or, for example, um, you know, somebody that's really great with the physicians or something like that, that know a lot about that, but can solve a whole bunch of problems for those people. That's going to Uh, set yourself apart. You know, you look at the industry and there's a lot of consolidation that happens, uh, especially as your business continues to grow, right? You, you start going, well, now we're managing $500 million and we've got 30 partners. And then we buy another firm that manages a hundred, you know, another 500 million. And now we're at a billion. And then the $3 billion firms merge together. You know, you see a lot of that stuff going on. And what happens is I think you get a lot of dilution of quality of advice and, and uniqueness of advice, maybe not quality, but uniqueness of advice, it turns into the Happy Meal approach, right? It's like, oh, well, here, you do this, do, 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 this process. And the advisor or the advisory firm that can be one-on-one with clients and still and still cover a whole bunch of different areas that's unique to that client, I think will be uh, will still be very successful in the future. It's so important. I mean, there's so much noise today, not just in investment planning, but if you're buying a car, you're buying a house, like there's so many different opinions out there. It's not about having enough information anymore. It's about taking that information and and making it meld to your situation. And I think that any advisor that's able to do that versus pretend they're a stock jock is going to get ahead at a much quicker pace. Well, you're right. I mean, 30 years ago, you really did pay for information, right? I mean, you could get the stock quotes of Pepsi by looking in the newspaper every night 
But if right. you wanted the quote for the last hour, you need to call your broker or right. get on watch CNBC all day long. Well, and before and so you're paying for that advice or that information, but now you don't need that. Well, and you and I. <laughs> I don't want to get into how old we are, but we both worked before. One of us is way older. We both worked before ETFs really were all yeah, over the marketplace, really off, yeah. right? And then it was about sidestepping bad managers. Remember those days? I mean, there was a big piece of my practice, OG, which was not necessarily finding phenomenal managers, but helping my clients tiptoe around bad ones and making sure the portfolio stayed with management in a diversified approach, stayed with management that, that was responsible in doing what we were paying them to do. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah. It was all about information at that point in time. Yeah. We took the meetings with the portfolio managers. We took the meetings with the investment wholesaler folks. You know, we did all that so that we could distill that information to clients. Well now all, you know, for fourteen ninety five a month, you can get a Morningstar subscription right. and you know, if you wanted to call Franklin and talk to their portfolio manager, you, you probably wouldn't get totally in, but I bet you could get pretty far down the field. Most of this piece is for advisors, and and I do find it interesting to see how largely female advisors growing their business different than male counterparts. But I, I totally think that regardless of your gender, if you're somebody interested in financial planning or you're working with a financial planner, then Holistic's going to win the day. Our second headline comes to us from CNBC. This is written by Ruth Oma. Why Amazon pays employees $5,000 to quit. Did you see this? Did you know this? Uh, I kind of knew. I mean, this is the same setup as uh, Zappos, right? Yeah. They, you know, they, they take you through training and they go, here's a check if you don't want to be here. Yeah. Once they bought Zappos, they took that and ran with it. Amazon is a solution for employees who no longer want to work there. Pay them to quit. Once a year, the company offers to pay full-time associates at Amazon fulfillment centers up to $5,000 to leave the company. Employees are eligible after one year of service, but there's a caveat. Those who accept the offer can never work at Amazon again. Quote, we want people working at Amazon who want to be here. Amazon spokesperson Melanie Etches tells CNBC, make it via email. In the long term, staying somewhere you don't want to be isn't healthy for our employees or for the company. The company offers $2,000 to employees who have been at the company for one year, and they offer increases by $1,000 per year, tenure maxing out at $5,000. Program called Pay to Quit was first created by online shoe retailer Zappos, which Amazon bought in 2009. Zappos only extended the offer to its newest employees within the first few weeks of employment, and the quitting bonus was $1,000. Amazon claims they don't actually want employees to accept the offer. In fact, the headline on the memo that employees get states, please don't take this offer, according to founder and CEO Jeff Bezos. So why bother presenting it in the first place? Quote, the goal is to encourage folks to take a moment and think about what they really want, Bezos writes in a 2014 shareholder letter. And according to Amazon, few people actually accept. You know, we spent some time on this on Friday. I have to admit, I was a little frustrated with our discussion Friday because I think that at least one of our panelists didn't take it as seriously as this evidence that I keep seeing over and over and over suggest, which is that you got to think about the goal. I mean, you got to think about what I want out of life. And it's amazing to me that $5,000 will make you think enough about your life, right? Like you can sell your life, OG, for 5000 bucks. Where, where just thinking about what's really in your best interest is, isn't, enough to, isn't enough to change the ball game. It's important to always be kind of evaluating, you know, where you're headed and the things that are going on around you. I constantly am reminded by that, that phrase, you know, your life in five years is going to be the average of the five people that you hang around with the most, right? And the average of the five books you read and that sort of thing. And I've noticed that in my own life, if you kind of get, you ever, ever rekindle with a high school buddy or something like that, a relationship and you know, you go, Oh, while you're in the same town, we should hang out and you hang out for a while and you go, why this person is like in a completely different stage of life and direction. And you can kind of feel yourself getting sucked toward that. And you go, okay, I gotta, I gotta like disengage and like go a different direction. Yeah. You know, or maybe you have, maybe you've gone in a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. You're hanging out with somebody and you go, I got to go in this. I got to yes. go this way or something. But that is a totally proactive thing. I'm happy that companies like Amazon, Zappos, whatever, are putting that out there because I think it's really important. In our conversations with clients at the very beginning, one of the things that I talk about is how 
I want to talk to you every six months. And if I plan on doing this the next 25 years, that's 50 conversations, right? And if we're going to have 50 conversations about your money, we better make sure that conversation one is kind of inspiring and exciting and fun. Otherwise, conversation 47 is going to really suck. Yeah. So let's let's find out in conversation one that it's not going to work and just not have numbers two through 50, you know, because it's not great for anybody. My head goes uh, in a similar direction, but a little different. You know, there's that uh, great blog, Wait But Why? And yeah. uh, that whole discussion about how early in your life you've spent 95% of the time you'll ever spend with your parents. Um, you know, and parents with their kids, like by the time they reach a very young age, you've already spent 95% of the time with your kids that you'll ever spend. And, uh, it makes you realize how fleeting time is. And if you don't make the important decision today to change your life, like when are you going to do that? And it kind of disturbs me that people will wait for a $5,000 check to make that decision. Yeah. Well, I saw Paula tweet something out recently, Paula Pant. And I don't know if she came up with this or if she got it from somebody, but basically it was to the effect of until you're financially independent, you're trading your time for money. Yeah. And that goes with everything, right? It's it's all of your relationships. It's all of, everything you're doing is just a trade with with time. And you have to decide whether or not that trade, you know, is going to be worth it's it in the, in the long run. Absolutely. By the way, congratulations to Paula. Yeah, no kidding, right? Yeah. Time just did That's a great cool. story on her. Time Magazine. How about that? That's a big deal. Speaking of that, let's go to a rare third headline here, OG. This is disturbing. These parents sued their 30-year-old son for refusing to move out of their home. A judge just ruled in their favor. We got to hide this for mom. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, I thought that court order was under seal. I didn't think that our stuff would be public. we, We can't let mom see this at all. Can't give her any ideas. I think the real headlines here, number one, is regardless of gender, holistic advice, probably more what you're looking for. And if you're an advisor, probably what you should be providing. And then our second uh, takeaway, I think, is uh, time is not an unlimited quantity. Uh, Make the move without having the company offer you $5,000 to make the right move. Although, if you're in the wrong place... Wait a few days and get that (laughs) $5,000. And you know it at the same time, right? Take their money. Tom Hodgkinson is one of these gentlemen that I had never met until recently and is already one of my favorite people. I'd hung out at the idler.co.uk many times. And so I was so excited when I saw his new book, Business for Bohemians. And if anybody can write a sharp book for business for people that don't care about business, but they really have a product. They have something OG that they're passionate about, right? You and I know these people, they open up a restaurant because they love making food. And you know that a restaurant isn't just about making food. It's about reservations. It's about customer service. It's about presentation. There's lots that goes into it. So if you're one of these people that are thinking about whether a side hustle working on your own, or even just working for the man. Uh, Business for Bohemians is is a great guide. Chris Gillibo, by the way, wrote the uh, wrote the blurb on the front. Great book for anyone who wants to chart their own independent course in business. And uh, this is all about living well and making money. And of course, because it's Tom Hodgkinson, it's about having fun. Let's say hello to Tom. Walking down the stairs, Tom Hodgkinson. How are you, man? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm fantastic. We have a business that's very bohemian here. I don't know if you can tell by the basement, but it's incredibly bohemian. We got the board games over there. We've got uh, yeah. life very, very casual. But, <laughs> but, but to you, when you wrote this, what does it mean when you say business for bohemians? What's a bohemian, Tom? Well, that's a great question. What does bohemian actually mean? And I think it's something to do with really simply a search for freedom, freedom in everyday life. And the original bohemians, I suppose, when we think back in England, they would have been people like Bertrand Russell, Virginia Woolf and the Bloomsbury Group. They were famously wore sandals. You know, they were like sort of proto hippies, I guess. Going further back, Oscar Wilde would be the ultimate example of a bohemian 
he says and does outrageous things and uh, he lives in an unconventional way. I suppose, and then going right back uh, 2,000 years, the philosophers of ancient Athens were the Bohemians then. I mean, they were called the cynical philosophers. They flouted convention. They refused to take conventional jobs and work. They might even live in a barrel, uh, live on nothing, gate crash parties. It's all those sorts of things, you know. And the Bohemians tend to be a bit ahead of the curve, tend to blaze a trail, I suppose. Everyone has a, a wild spirit somewhere within them which they would like to express, more or less, you know. The Bohemians go all the way. So what I'm trying to say in this book is um, if you're someone of Bohemian tendencies, you want to do something independently, you're a musician, you're a creative person. But that also means that you don't have any income. So if you're a Bohemian, you have to do things like pay your own taxes, send invoices, maybe even create forecasts for your business. Okay, so you're actually a businessman, which is slightly the opposite thing that you were thinking of when you became a bohemian. So, so there's a kind of a paradox there, you know, that you're trying to get away from, in a sense, the world of the squares. Uh, but in order to do that, in order to survive, you have to actually be very, very responsible, even more responsible than the person who has the full-time job where tax is deducted at source and so on. I can't imagine going up to Virginia Woolf and saying, hey, you got to understand business plans. You got <laughs> we, we should have a spreadsheet about this book, Virginia. We should. We should <laughs> what's the sales strategy going to be? Yeah, for, for a room of one zone. I mean, the thing is, a lot of those guys actually, you know, they had some kind of private income. Yeah. And um, I edit a magazine called The Idler, and people often assume, well, it's okay for you because obviously you're a privileged person. You have some kind of private income. You have a trust fund. You're a trust fund baby. And yeah, that's the case for some people, very, very few. I don't think Oscar Wilde did, actually. He, he made all, he was just a very successful writer, you know, and, and playwright. So he made a lot of money from his own work. But this is definitely not for people with a trust fund or a private income. It's for people who need to earn a living. Well, well, uh, well and also, Tom, to widen the scope just a little bit, you talk a lot about people that just want to be what we refer to as, and you refer to as lifestyle entrepreneurs, right? I want to make enough money want to make enough money to have the lifestyle I want, whatever that might be. And then I want to enjoy that lifestyle. And and you talk about how some friends of yours, you know, look at that kind of down their nose, like, really? You want to be a lifestyle entrepreneur? Like, how cute? <laughs> yeah, well, what I realized in researching this book, and I looked at business, I read lots of those business books, you know, how to win, things like that. Uh, winning, destroying the other guy, you know, how to make a billion dollars and these sorts of books. And they're very sort of competitive. Actually, most of those entrepreneurs, um, when it comes down to it, they don't really care what the thing is that they're doing, what the product is, what the service is. It doesn't matter. It could be pharmaceuticals. It could be, you know, ad sales. It could be dog food. You know, they're just looking for an opportunity. Um, so they're not particularly interested in, in, in what they're actually doing. What I'm talking about is people who want to make a living out of doing the thing that they really enjoy doing, which is actually quite quite a difficult thing to do. And so I think for many of those people, what the serious businessmen would call lifestyle business, it's a very, very noble ambition. Your pleasure in how you live every day, and that might mean you construct a life that allows you the time to go for a walk after lunch or you know, be home with your children every evening. They kind of sneer at that. But to me, that that's a noble aspiration because it means that you're making a living and you've got something, you know, you've got a life, as they say. A lot of these businessmen, they're psychotics. You know, that's all they do um, to get to the top of Goldman Sachs. You don't have a life outside of the business. You know, you just don't have any life at all. They get divorced. They have terrible family lives and so on. But hey, they're winning. <laughs> but they're winning the race. So that's great. Yeah. You know, okay. That's, you know, there is a few strange, very strange, odd people who want to go down that route. That's not the route I'm recommending. I'm not saying you don't have to grow as a business either. Sure. Um, we started as a sort of a lifestyle business. And yeah, I run a magazine. I want to get more subscribers. I do want to grow the business and take on more staff and so on. But it starts with an idea of how, how I want to live. You know, what's your perfect day? What's your perfect ideal day? Do you, do you really want to sit uh, commuting for two or three hours? You know, um, and one of the points I make in the book and in our magazine is if you're the kind of person who really hates their job and but, you know, you think I need the income so I can't quit. 
you should do a spreadsheet, <laughs> a simple spreadsheet. You might have looked into this too, which actually calculates the cost of that job because people don't realize they spend a lot of money on a job which they wouldn't spend um, if they were working at home in their mother's basement next to the board games. You know, If you don't have those commuting costs, for example, that, that can be a, a huge cost. The cost of clothes, the cost of the coffees and the sandwiches and the Starbucks and the lunches and the, the drinks at the end of the day because you deserve it and all the extra. You know, when I started working at home, my everyday costs shrunk massively. That means you don't actually have to earn as much as you did in the real job in your entrepreneurial life. You know, so I think that that's a good thing to bear in mind if people are wondering whether to take the plunge, so to speak. Um, I did a talk a few weeks ago and. The girl who was interviewing me, she used to work at the Guardian newspaper. Well, that's quite a big deal here. And I mean, it's actually quite a big deal globally. You know, it's, it's very big... well read worldwide, 10 million readers. She was uh, the deputy editor on a section and it was a well-paid job. But she, again, she had no life. She never saw her children. So after two years, she quit. And now she's a freelance. She does a, a number of different things. She runs a festival. She writes freelance articles. She has one or two corporate clients. And she just has far more time. I mean, she doesn't maybe need to, uh, not earning the same level of salary, but it doesn't matter. She's got more time to herself and probably actually more money at the end of the day. So that's one important aspect of, you know, bohemian business to bear in mind. I love, I love how a lot of these stories, Tom, come from your personal story of uh, creating the idler and uh, having a storefront for a while, I thought was fascinating and having events and really kind of learning on the job that some of this stuff is important that you really didn't care about. Yeah, that's right. Foolishly, probably. In fact, uh, my wife's parents said, well, they weren't the only ones who, who suggested that this wasn't a good idea. <laughs> our, our idea was, um, hey, wouldn't it be amazing to have a an independent bookshop that was also a cafe and was also a sort of learning center uh, where you would come to take courses in anything from calligraphy to learning the ukulele to philosophy or whatever it might be. And this would be a sort of community hub. People would hang out there. And we said the anarchist would meet the hedge fund guy in our shop. And we got this idea in our minds. We found the shop and threw ourselves into it. We remortgaged our house to pursue this idea. And yeah, hey, presto, it was very, very, very hard work. But we did it. It was kind of successful. I'm not saying we made a lot of money, but we did at least not lose money. And we, we paid our staff. We paid our rent. We paid our suppliers and so on. And it, the process of it, you know, we really learned a lot about business because this is real business. This wasn't sitting at home being a freelance writer, which was my previous life, uh, we really had some serious overheads to deal with, like two staff and the rent and so on, accounts with bookshops. And we, financially speaking, it was very hand-to-mouth, you know, and there were some nasty moments when the people from the tax office, you know, knocked on the door at the oh, shop on Saturday morning. That's a great day. Um, yeah, that's a really nice day. But then actually, you know, you, you sort of... You, it's quite scary, but then you get through that. You sure. know, you, you, we didn't go bankrupt. Actually, when you talk to some of these people, that they're human beings too. Sure. You know, you can find a way to do a pay them back over time or something like that. You know, but yeah, it was like an MBA in real, real, real business and learning on the job, dealing with customers face to face every day, and stock and supply, and hiring and firing, and so on. So yeah, we learned a lot, and my hope is that I put lessons in the book so that. People who want to go down a similar route, not necessarily opening a shop. It's 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 for anyone who wants to do anything, sure. you know, independent. But they can avoid the mistakes that we made. Now, I think a lot of our listeners, you know, they work for somebody else, but they want to have a side income. They want to maybe diversify their income. So I look at your book, Tom, and I think this is a perfect way to get familiar with some of these concepts that people don't know about. And, I, and you've got tons of them in the book, but I want to go just deep into three that are early in the book. And, you know, we, yeah. can't, we can't go super deep in about five more minutes, but you talk a little bit about bohemians and business plans. And when you say business plan, I think half the people listening, more, maybe more than that, and me, we fall asleep. I'm like, oh, I don't, th that's a document for a banker. And you say, that's not so. You have to have a business plan. You have to have them if you want to raise any money at all. I mean, if you want to go to your bank and get a loan or anything. But I did it anyway, because I think it's a good thing to do. It's a good discipline. It forces you to think through every single detail of your business. It doesn't have to be long. In fact, it should be quite short. I offer a, a one or two 
potential structures in the book, and it can be sort of you know six paragraph, six different sections. Um, the first one is just to nail down exactly what it is that you want to do. That's not easy either. You know, they call it the elevator pitch. Okay, you don't necessarily have to create an elevator pitch. You know, uh, Facebook for dogs. You know, I don't know. <laughs> That's the kind of thing. But, you know, this is blah meets blah blah. I actually do believe in visualizing and and then moving towards your visualization and writing a business plan can actually help that and it's not just the thing itself it's the it's how much money's going to come in it also forces you to think through your costs even small things like electricity insurance water you know paper internet costs and just write down every single little last thing that might be going out but it also helps you to have targets and again targets sound very (laughs) non-bohemian but i think they're quite a good thing to have and if you reach your target, you know, you can go to the beach. So that then it's not all about kind of working 12 hours and killing yourself. Yeah, so I say it doesn't have to be written in business language. You can write it in, in a very colloquial way. Just write it as if you're describing the business to a friend. That's what I love. Um, I love the idea of crystallizing what's in your head and making sure that some of this stuff doesn't surprise you. Because if you're a bohemian and you like thinking big picture and begin with the end in mind, some of these details, like you were saying, water, electricity might end up being a surprise that you didn't expect if you don't do business plan. So I love that. Exactly. And, and those surprises cause stress. Yeah, right. And that takes away from your pleasure in life and it will take away from your business as well, because um, obviously we all have to deal with some stress, but um, the more you can avoid it. But I was going to say uh, stress is definitely anti-bohemian. Uh, uh, you talk about spreadsheets and the importance of having spreadsheets. You mentioned it once today. What type of spreadsheet should a bohemian going into business have, Tom? Well, the standard, of course, is Microsoft Excel, which is a simple grid a's along one side one edge and numbers along the other so you have a cell like hb like a like an enormous chessboard we use google sheets uh because it's free i'm I'm not a huge fan of these massive tech companies they gather data but i have to say google you know they are really good tools and they're free it's uh you know uh, and you can share so if you get google drive you can get google sheets and google docs and what we do is, we, and then just start to play around with it. You get, you get a, a open a new sheet, put some numbers in. The point of the spreadsheet is that you can change the numbers. So you, you can create a calculation, add up all the numbers up to here, above here, and then times 100 or get a percentage or something like that. And then you can change the numbers. So my accountant said, people, Tom, people don't realize spreadsheets are a thing of great beauty. And he said, you know, he loves spreadsheets and um, because they, uh, in, in a numerical form, they enable you to test out different scenarios. So oh, what, what about if $10,000 came in that month? What about if $5,000 came in that month? What about if $20,000 came in that month? How much do we need actually to make um, in order to sort of live basically okay? You know, how many things do we need to sell or whatever it is? And a spreadsheet, you can do that. You just change one thing and, the, and then magically the, the entire spreadsheet changes of its own accord. And it's it's quite a magical device. I, I think they, they can be really pleasurable. And also, rather like writing down your business plan, doing a spreadsheet itself can help to alleviate stress. Because, you know, when you wake up in the middle of the night worrying, and it's usually you can't do anything about it. But if you get up in the morning and sit down and open the computer and start to address some of these worries, they, they can often evaporate. And I think a, a spreadsheet is a good way of doing that. It, it actually calms the mind. It's like a sort of exercise in mindfulness. However, a word of warning, you can get spreadsheet fatigue. And I don't know if you've ever had this, but like, you know, you spend hours staring at these spreadsheets, changing little things. And they, they can be very, very, very slow and time consuming. And I, I'm so glad I don't work with them all day long, like some people must do in, in the hedge funds or in the bank. Right. You know, after a while, you're, you, you start to forget what's going on. Your head starts swimming. So you need to take a break from them. But I think a bit of mild, a mild spreadsheet addiction, a sort of recreational spreadsheet addiction is quite a good thing. Well, and, and I love your recommendation on Google Sheets because that's what we use. And specifically because I can collaborate very easily with people in different locations. And more and more, yeah. it seems like 
you know, you find your, you find your tribe of friends in different places. And, um, and so sharing ideas with them via Google becomes amazingly easy. I want to talk about sales because, you know, sales is so anti-Bohemian too, as you know, (laughs) sales is a dirty word, but you, you talk about subscriptions, which I, when I turned to the pages about subscriptions, I was fascinated because what a great idea for Bohemians, Tom, when you talk about, you know, maybe a subscriptions and Bohemian, uh, like uh, companies go really well together. Yeah, I think it's a great business model for a bohemian. It's clearly the business model that magazines should use, but it's not just magazines. I think it's called Software as a System or something like that, SARS. There's a, a big movement for individuals to buy software on a subscription basis. You know, I pay my subscription to MailChimp. I pay my subscription to the Financial Times in the UK, and I subscribe to magazines. A friend of mine runs something called the Cloud Appreciation Society, and his members subscribe. You know, they pay an annual fee. Now, the wonderful thing about this from a business point of view is that um, you're able to offer a very good offer because what you really want is what's called recurring revenue. So this means that, you know, you buy a subscription from me today via we have PayPal recurring payments. And in, in 12 months time, your subscription automatically leaves your bank account and comes into mine, which is great for me <laughs> um, because I don't have to do any extra work to sell that subscription. And over time, you can build up a substantial recurring revenue. Now, it's not easy because one, you've got to get that guy to subscribe in the first place. And two, you've then got to retain them into year two, three, four, five, and so on. Naturally, two to three out of each 10 uh, will drop off each year. So if you started with a 1,000 subscriptions and did nothing um, to get new ones, then you would probably be down to 750 at the end of the next year, and then it would go down again. So you do need to do a lot of work to continually recruit new subscribers. And we do that at events. Um, For example, in the summer, we go to festivals, and we're at a festival for three or four days running an area. And over the weekend, we might sell 40 or 50 subscriptions, which is great because a lot of those people might stay with you for many years. We put them on some kind of recurring payment. And in the first year, we give them a really, really good offer. You might actually slightly lose money. You know, there's something called the customer acquisition cost. So we say, okay, let's let's say we're going to spend $25 or pounds on a new subscriber. That's a reasonable rate. But, in, you know, the, the cost of fulfilling that subscription means in year one, you, you might actually lose money. In year two, you might break even or make a little bit. But in year three, you're making money without any real sort of effort. And I think people like joining clubs. They like being a member of something. And let's face it, it's a very good subscription model for small people because we are never going to be ad sales companies like Facebook. Right. You know, to be an ad sales company, I, I sort of flirted with the idea at one point, but you have to have so many, you have to have an absolutely enormous number of people visiting your website. You know, we only have ten to 20,000 people a month. It's just not enough to sell advertising on. However... You do a podcast, and that's something that we would like to do. I haven't got around to it yet, too, too idle. Um, <laughs> there's really good potential to sell advertising on the podcast. You know, you build up your subscriber numbers, it's free. But it's apparently it's supposed to be a very effective advertising medium because you're speaking directly to your customers, and it's not via some weird Facebook algorithm or something like that. And also, actually, in a magazine, you can sell advertising. It's certainly not our main income. You know, our main income is subscriptions. But as you build up more subscriptions, well, it becomes a more attractive place to advertise. Yeah. The other thing I would like to mention is um, my kind of anti-social media thing, because I think this is quite important. I think lots of small people, bohemians in business, everyone says, well, you've got to be on Facebook. You've got to be on Twitter. You've got to be on Instagram. Come on, get more followers. And, you know, we try that. but not, they, they never buy anything. Yeah. I'm like, who am I actually, what am I doing here? I'm just like putting money into Jack Dorsey's pocket or something. <laughs> um, every time I, 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 you know, work on my Facebook page, I'm just enriching the shareholders of Facebook. I'm not saying leave it alone completely. Obviously, it's, it, 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 I'm not even sure if it really works that well as an advertising thing. I don't know. But um, we advertise in other magazines because we know that there are people who, they're the kind of people who subscribe to magazines. Yeah. But instead of that, I would say really concentrate on your mailing list. We build up, people like it. You know, I send out a weekly email with some reflections. It's like a little mini newspaper column. Um, I tell them what we're up to. We can send a discount. You know, you're, com- you're in complete control of it. You know, something like 
two to three out of each 10 people you send it to will open it. Well, okay, you know that. That's a lot more than would open a tweet, you know. And so I, I do recommend to people, small people, you know, build up your main. People like supporting small companies and they, they respect people who go out on their own and they would enjoy following you. Yeah, I'd follow you on social media as well. But as far as sales go, it we get a million times more sales from our email. I mean, we sent one out today. We're putting on an event with an American writer called Jaron Lanier, and he's written a book called 10 Reasons Why You Should Get Off Social Media. It's a really funny book. Uh, we've just organized an event with him, and we've already sold about 15 tickets just in the last two or three hours. That's all from, not from social media, that's from our mailing list. I would think there's about 75 reasons to get off social media. Really? It, you would read then, yeah. Well, and it's I, funny, I feel- Tom, my feeling about social media has changed. At first, I thought yeah. it was a sales thing. Now I think it's a, it's a good way to deepen relationships with people that are already fans. You know, yeah. so it's about deepening relationships, not really about creating new ones. Like whenever we do a sales push on social media, to your point, it's horrible going on yeah. other podcasts for us, like you advertising in other yeah. magazines for us in, in the podcast business, going on other podcasts because we know those people already listen to podcasts. Exactly. We don't need these um, supposedly brilliant magicians in Silicon Valley to tell us <laughs> to work through an algorithm. It's fairly obvious to, to you that podcast listeners, I mean, it, we, we could do a better job than AI. Right, right, right. Well, and have more fun doing it too. The book is called Business for Bohemians, Live Well, Make Money. Where do people find the book, Tom? I guess it's in Barnes and Nobles and the Idler magazine is in Barnes and Noble too. It's also on the dreaded retailer that begins with an A and ends with with an N. The big Um, billion pound behemoth. Yeah, which uh, we all unfortunately had to. I mean, I, I would love to avoid Amazon, but we we all we have to deal with it more or less. You can order them directly from from us, but of course you have to pay a lot of shipping. Uh though I will sign it. Oh awesome. Cool. Yeah. I also found it by the way at uh in independent bookstores just at in uh Portland, Oregon. Um Yeah, that's right. There's quite a few stores where the items uh, and my books would be on sale. I think there's one called Dog Eared Books in San Francisco. Yeah. I saw it at Powell's. That's where I saw it. Right. Okay, great. Yeah. There's a list on our website of uh, our US stockists, and I think the book would be available there too. Awesome. And by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the idler, idler.co.uk, which is always funny, Tom, and surprising. And it's a great place to just go hang out. I mean, right now you're talking about Avengers is the new Troy. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I spoke to a sex worker who studied Marxism. That's clickbait. Uh, and then cruising the canals, which is something Cheryl and I have always wanted to do. And of course- uh, Lovely, yeah. But bullshit job. So a l- little something for everybody <laughs> at the Idler. <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for hanging out, Tom. I appreciate it. No, thank you so much for your support and for um, giving us a voice on the podcast. It's really appreciated. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And if you're outside the USA, this extended weekend holiday might look like a time that Americans celebrate auto racing, hot dogs, and apple pie. But in America, that's just Saturday. No, today, besides all of those things, we call Memorial Day because it's the day that we remember the people who died serving in our armed forces. So let's celebrate with a history-related trivia question. What was the original name for Memorial Day? I'll be back with the answer and maybe a third hot dog. Yeah, who am I kidding? I'll be on number four by then in just a moment. Huge thanks to College Backer for supporting our podcast. And College Backer has such a noble cause, OG. They're the easiest way to save for college with help from family and friends. Check out College Backer if you want to help your kids avoid some of these large student loan issues that you see so many people get into. College Backer will help you find a great 529 plan with tax-free growth and tax-free withdrawals. Talking to Abby over at College Backer, she was telling me that they will check out your home state's plan and compare it to some of the best available. Because a lot of the time, your home state, if you live there, the 529 available in that state is your best option. In other states there might be better options. College Backer gives you a simple custom link like collegebacker.com forward slash Luke for you to share, which makes it easy for friends and family to help you and your kids save for college. I love that. Just make it very, very simple. Kids grow up faster than you think. Imagine 
turning some of those holiday and birthday toys and clothes into college savings instead. So sign up at collegebacker.com forward slash SB and you'll get a $10 match when you select start saving for college today for your own child or select give the gift of college savings to kick off someone else's college fund. That's collegebacker.com forward slash SB to sign up and begin a new college fund. These days, OG, you can get just about anything on demand. I mean, I dial up my favorite podcast. Heck, if you listen to this show, you just dial it up and here we are talking at you. Did you know you can even get postage on demand though? All you need is stamps.com. With stamps.com, you can access all the services of the post office right from the comfort of your desk. Buy and print real U.S. postage for any letter or any package. It's all available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You just click print mail and bam, you're done. When I think bam, I still think of Emeril Lagasse. Don't you? Bam! I wonder if he works with stamps.com. My favorite is that you can print the labels, right? If you want to do like a media mail or if you're doing, uh, you know, a priority mail or something, you can print the actual label, slap that baby on, drop it in the mailbox, off you go. Stamps.com will even send you a digital scale. You can weigh your letters and packages and print not the... yourself. Yeah, yeah. And don't, don't, don't try to weigh mom. She does not. She doesn't get into that. <laughs> you can print the exact amount of postage every time. So right now, pause the podcast and do this. Use SB for this special offer. A four-week trial includes postage and the digital scale. Don't wait. Head to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SB. We'll be here when you get done. I promise we will be here. That's stamps.com. Enter SB. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm fairly certain three hot dogs is close to a world record, isn't it? Yeah, probably. I'm going to contact the Guinness people in just a minute, but let's get your trivia answer first. Here was the question. What was the original name for Memorial Day in the USA? The answer? Memorial Day was deliberately placed at the end of May by Major General John A. Logan because flowers all over the country would be in bloom and there was a practice of placing these flowers as decorations on soldiers' graves, which is why Memorial Day was first called Decoration Day. Speaking of honor, let's also give a big shout out to all of those veterans that protect their country today, shall we? Men and women of the armed forces, thank you very, very much. See ya! Swing and a miss. I couldn't remember the name of it. But I like that that idea. I remember on Memorial Day, every year growing up, our family would head to the cemetery. And I have to Gotta say- pay homage, man. Yep. I have to say, I haven't done that in a few years, and I really need to get back to that practice. There you go. Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's, or rather, life insurance's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting- the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most? $5,000 bonuses for quitting my job. What else do you need? That's it. Or, exactly. your, fa- or your family and your time, along with your 5000 bucks. It's why they created a simple way to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. I actually like, I like uh, being in my mom's basement for free and her not reading the news. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free estimate for coverage and to learn about life insurance the modern way. It's so easy, OG. It only takes a minute. And you know, if you're listening to this, especially after, you know, the discussion we had last week, especially if you don't have life insurance, just how bad that is. It only takes a few minutes. Get the job done. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life for life insurance the modern way. Let's throw out the lifeline today to our new BFF, Michael. Say hi, Michael. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Michael from D.C. I've been listening for a couple of years now and appreciate all the non-advice that you're giving so far. Just wanted to touch base on saving for a down payment for a house. 29 years old, I've been trying to figure out my retirement accounts, currently saving about 15% of my income. So that's all squared away. And now that I'm looking towards starting a down payment, I don't think I'm going to get there for another five years or so. And I'm just wondering where you would suggest putting that money. Should I start an investment account? Should I start rolling into the CDs, uh, laddering it? Uh, should I just dump it into a normal savings account? 
not really putting a whole lot of emphasis on how much I'm earning, but I figure if I can earn more than just the very small amounts in the savings accounts that I have, that might might assist. So any advice, I would really appreciate that. Uh, appreciate the lack of knowledge that I'm gaining from your podcast. Say hi to mom and Doug and uh, have a good one. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Michael, and we will definitely do that. Uh, it's a good way, by the way, saying Michael said hi to distract her from the fact that that judge ruled against our buddy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Somebody that followed us after the show went, this is a great idea. I'm going to live in my mom's basement. That's fantastic. Er- Five years is kind of uh, right at that magic time period, right? In terms of market cycles and that sort of thing. I guess my answer would come back to whether it depends how serious you are about the five-year goal, right? So let's say that you get three years into it, you put it in a stock portfolio, and three years from now begins a two-year recession. And so every dollar that you throw in, you're losing money, right? So you're planning on saving $100,000, you know, of which was going to take you 95 plus interest to get there. And so three years into it, you've got 60000 saved, and over the next two years, you put in your $20,000 each year, but because the market's not performing, you are still at 60000 So does that really tick you off? Do you just buy a $60,000 house instead, or, you know, $60,000 down payment instead of a hundred? You know, obviously it's inopportune at that moment to take the money out because you've, you know, just experienced a portfolio decline. So it's like the worst time to withdraw the money. So I'm thinking that if you, you know, are serious about it being a five-year goal, and in fact, want it to be sooner than five years, I think you have to stay cash. And if you want to monkey around with CDs and laddering CDs and that sort of stuff, have at it. But I'll also tell you, when it comes time to get the mortgage, remember you have to prove where all this money came from, right? And if you've got 10 different accounts that you're trying to consolidate in the last three months before you go do your down payment, the bank is going to require just tons of additional paperwork to make sure you're not getting loans or doing credit card advances to cover your down payment or whatever, right? So having gone through it within the last five years myself, I'd err on the side of simplicity. I'd open up a savings account. You can go to Magnify Money and find a good online savings account rate. Yeah, it's not that greatest right now. Interest rates are going up a little bit, so you'll you know benefit a smidge from that over the years. I'd set up my normal dollar cost average into my savings account and let it be. I'm all about simplicity. You're not going to pick up that much more interest for all the work that's going to be involved. If that bothers you, I think the most risk I would take with a five-year goal, and once again, with interest rates headed the way they are, this could be a little bit of a crapshoot, but I'm willing to throw this forward because I think the dividends are high enough to justify this approach would be uh, Ginny May Fund. Uh, Ginny May Fund for a five-year goal, I think. Uh, but to your point, OG, I don't think you're going to don't think you're going to make a lot more money using a Ginny May and maybe having that little bit of wiggle that could happen as interest rates continue to rise in a Ginny May versus uh, just staying in high interest money market. Okay. <laughs> uh, geez, like, nope, wouldn't do that. Uh, thanks. No, I mean, no, you're right. You you pick up a little bit of you pick up a little bit higher dividend. You know, you reinvest it so. Uh, you know, your dividends make dividends and that sort of thing. You may end up, you know, the last five years, Ginny uh, Mays are negative, but just slightly. So uh, does the dividend, the extra yield that you've returned over those years even out maybe? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, great question. And I think the answer is yes, but not by a ton. You know, the last five years, my advice wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have paid, but I don't think it would have hurt you either. Uh, yeah, it would have been even money uh, to go that way. We also get letters down here in the basement, and Doug just brought down this one out of the mailbag from Sam. It says, Joe and OG, I'd first like to say I've recently become a huge fan of the show. It's all I've been listening to on my commute to and from work for the past three or four months, and I have almost listened to every episode available on Apple Podcasts. That being said, I obviously haven't learned a thing because I now find myself asking two guys who hang out in a basement all day for advice. Joke's on you, Sam. Uh, <laughs> I continue. 
My question has to do with my fiance's finances. She has a taxable brokerage account with about $17,000 in it and a Roth IRA with only $1,700 that she hasn't contributed to in the last four years. My question is, does it make sense to move any money from the taxable brokerage account into the Roth IRA? My thinking is the, the IRA would be a wise decision due to the tax benefits. A few details that might help. She's 28, an elementary school teacher, and contributes the mandatory 8% to the state pension plan. I'm 25, currently contribute 12% to a 401k with a vested balance of 11000 bucks. Our goals? Retirement, obviously. What does that look like? Not entirely sure, but in the short term, we'd like for her to be able to stay at home with the kids when we get to that part of our life so her income would disappear. Would that prohibit her from contributing to a Roth while she isn't employed? Thanks for the entertainment and, quote, advice. Keep up the mediocre work, Sam. (laughs) Thanks, Sam. Uh, What do you think? Boy, Sam really knows how to butter up the host, doesn't he? (laughs) He's he's got that down, right? Well, mediocre is good for us, so very, very happy with that. I don't see any problem in putting money into the Roth. I mean, you can always get the uh, contributions back out after a period of time. You got to wait a little bit, but it's but it's there. Uh, you can't take the growth out, so be it. Can't see a downside to this. I mean, like smidge of liquidity, right? Sometimes people look at their Roth and say, "Well, that's retirement money." But if it was in my brokerage account, I would use it for, or I could use it for, you know, something else. But I like putting it in the Roth. I do too. Yeah. Simple. Yeah, especially since. You know, she he says she hasn't made a contribution in four years, so ostensibly she's been there then five years if she made her contribution five years ago. So right, yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe put in uh, the fifty five hundred right now, and then in another eight months in January, put the fifty another fifty five hundred in for twenty nineteen. And this is a case, Sam, where maybe you invested differently because you might want the money available for those uh, years, the one income years. So you might be a little conservative with that money, thinking of it not as retirement money like a lot of people do with their Roth, but thinking about it as shorter-term money, depending on when the kids are going to come. Yeah, could be. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for the question, Sam. You got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll find there, you know what you'll find? You'll find a little link that says questions for the show. Click on that link and you will find out all the ways to interface with us. Haven Lifeline obviously being the best way to interface with us because Sam's not taking home the cool greatest money show on earth t-shirt where Michael is. So that's the difference between Michael and Sam. Hey, thanks to everybody also who's left us a review of this podcast to let people know the the unique nature of the Stacky Benjamins podcast. I like this one. Five stars from short people live longer. We talked about this one. This is one of my favorites on the fridge. Uh, It says, stay the course. The best group of people I've never met and plan to keep it that way. The takeaway from this review, I always wonder what people have never heard the show think about when they see five stars and all these insults about us. The takeaway from this review is that listening to this podcast clarified to myself that the world actually does have people that genuinely enjoy guiding people in the perhaps better path. Well, see, that's not that's very nice. So I'll start automatically investing in bonds. Thanks, OG. Great listening skills. Short people live longer. Maybe the wrong outcome. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe the wrong outcome. I feel like somebody's got the stick and they're like poking the tiger there. Just dangling it. Yeah. Yes. Also, in the last thing before we hand this baby over to Doug. OG's taking clients. So if you're somebody who's ready to get serious about your financial plan, ready to get to work, take the gloves off, so to speak, roll up the sleeves, if you know what I mean, head to Stacky Dig in. <laughs> dig in. Head to StackyBenjamins.com forward slash OG. This is letter O, letter G. And uh, you'll find the link to OG's calendar and you'll be off and running. All right. That's going to do it for today, guys. If you're in the United States, happy Memorial Day. And if you're elsewhere, happy Monday. We'll be back here on Wednesday. Workday for everybody, uh, I think, unless I'm missing an international holiday. Doug, what should we have learned? So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from Tom Hodgkinson. Even if you don't care about business, if you're going to sell anything, understand some basics like spreadsheets, business plans, and marketing. It's not optional. It's the reason your audience will be able to appreciate your work. Second, sick of your job? Don't wait for 5000 bucks to quit. Chase that dream. But having that business plan first is going to be the key to your success, not just blindly flying out the door of your current job. But the big lesson? 
If you call Guinness about the hot dog record, clarify what you're asking. The Guinness people only wanted to talk beer, but I'm interested in the hot dog world record. Hey, what about hot dog and a beer? Huh. Special thanks to Tom Hodgkinson for stopping by the basement. You can find more from Tom at idler.co.uk or in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Have you ever asked yourself what wrong turn you made in your life that you ended up down here listening to us? Welcome to the after show, the part of the show that doesn't exist. And uh, we have a special guest here on the after show with us today. Mom had a friend upstairs visiting, and now she's uh, with us. And it's. Uh, Can you say hello? Oh, she's going to be shy. <laughs> well, she's deciding what to say. And, and by the way, this is uh, the littlest OG monster. Say hello. <laughs> it's, it's not happening. Uh, nope. OG, I went to see this movie, and by the way, this clip we're not going to play for very long because it's because nobody talks in it because it's called a quiet place. And it's a family signing to each other. Not wearing any shoes. And check this out. Never make a sound. And the kid decides to make a sound right now. And so this is uh, a movie about aliens attacking and these aliens, OG, they're blind and they don't really have a sense of smell, but they have supersonic hearing. If you make any noise, they are on you. And I like a movie with very high stakes and Emily Blunt and John Krasinski star in this movie. And uh, right at the very beginning, in the first five minutes, one person that they know. Whoa, 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 one person that they know gets killed by the aliens. And, and you know how serious it's going to be from mm. then on. I didn't want to see this movie. I don't really like suspenseful movies. I was not really excited about it, but so many people after I said here a couple of weeks ago that I didn't want to see it, people said, Joe, you got to give it a chance. Richie went to see it and said he really liked it. So I said, Richie, our producer. So I said, okay, I'll go check it out. You know, we got the movie pass. Remember how I said last week I didn't like the Avengers? 
Right. This is the movie you should see when you're on your way to see the Avengers. So here's what you do. Go into the theater when you're on your way to the Avengers. Ask if they have the qu- a quiet place. Go see this instead. Even if you don't like, like you're like me and you don't like suspense movies, this movie's great. I love the fact that the stakes are high. I love the um, I love what happens during the movie. You're on the edge of your seat. I love where the Tell movie Tell me more ends. about the stakes. I'm, I like steak a lot. Is it now? Is it yes. mainly like medium rare? Strip? Right. <laughs> mm, steak. So mm. what about the guy in the corner that's like chowing his popcorn? There's been a lot of conversation. Well, Cheryl was the doing that. webs about like the. Early on in the movie to make their point. It is super, super quiet. And Cheryl's sitting next to me. And all I can hear is her munching her popcorn. Now, the good news is there's only six people in this theater. Cause it's a Tuesday okay. afternoon, but the bad news is I'm trying to be in the movie. And instead I'm listening to Cheryl with her popcorn, but big, huge thumb up for a quiet place. And is she finally going to, okay. is she finally going to come on? I think so. Can you say hi? You say you hi say to hello. all your fans. Say hi. Hey, girlfriend. Can you uh, say hello? Hello, girlfriend. What's your favorite movie? Do you like Moana? Hey, has she seen Coco yet? Mm-mm. Coco's so good. You got to see Coco. Do you want to see Coco? Yes. No. Do you want to go watch Anna? This is fantastic radio. <laughs> I can't hear you when you whisper. Say Mo Anna. <laughs> She's like whispering so quietly. <laughs> Well, not ready for her radio debut yet. Maybe a little bit later. Well, she did in the middle. You, everybody heard her in the middle of the 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 uh, clip. Of course, yeah. when the clip comes on. All right, guys, it's gonna yeah. do it. Maybe go, another day. Go see a quiet yeah. place later. Okay, say bye bye. Say it loud. Say bye bye. You got to say it louder. Say it really loud. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.